0: Thanks for joining us today on today's podcast episode where we're picking up part two of the link between hormone decline and depression. Last week, just briefly, we discussed the three challenges that have to be overcome in order to enter into this conversation. The first one was conformational bias or overcoming the things that you've been taught since the very beginning. Uh, challenge number two was reductionist treatment or the disease model versus the complexity of the human system model. And challenge number three was adaptation. So join us as we pick back up where we left off last week with this uh, podcast episode, already in progress. Here at the Optimal CEO podcast, we help CEO entrepreneurs who love taking ownership of their wellness journey because they know it's their most prized investment. And when their state of wellness is at its peak, their income soars. We want to help relieve CEO entrepreneurs from the pressure of unnecessary health exposure so they can be highly focused on growing their business and physically optimized for the journey so they can enjoy getting there. The Greeks uh, understood uh, the exposome, the human exposome, when they didn't even have a word for it. Thousands of years ago, they viewed health as a state of dynamic equilibrium between the internal and the external environment. They believed that illness resulted when this balance was upset. Hippocrates. Um, uh, said that the internal equilibrium depended on the external equilibrium between a person and his or her, her environment. Um, and Hippocratic medicine, which ironically is where modern day allopathic medicine came out of. Um, and we've so far gone off that path. Hippocratic medicine has, uh, deemed patient centered rather than disease oriented medicine as the treatment of, uh, of choice. Um, again, how have we gotten so far away from that? We've gotten away from patient-centered medicine and we're so disease-oriented. It it goes back to that reductionist view. And how do we get down this reductionist path? Um, That's a conversation for a different day. But uh, a little hint, it has to do with uh, economic agendas related to big Fortune 500 companies. Anyway, sidebar. Uh, so what are some of the areas of exposure that make up the human exposome? Um, l- let, me read, let me read off a list of a few of those. So if we're only looking at, uh, say, the human exposome and depression, then we have to look at mindset. Uh, we have to look at stress. We have to look at community. We have to look at work and relationships and activity, uh, meaning physical activity. We look at the microbiome, and the microbiome is simply your gut, your gut health. Um, uh, When I went through my training uh, 20 plus years ago, uh, over 20 years ago, it was 25 years ago, um, they told us that all of your serotonin, norepinephrine, dopamine, all your feel good chemicals that um, alleviate depression, Uh, are produced in this little, nice little vault called your brain, your cranium, and um, nowhere else. And then when they started doing genetic research and they switched over to uh, the human exposome and started doing microbiome research, um, the human microbiome project, where they're trying to map out the gut flora, the gut bacteria, the good and the bad, and actually the word bad is being thrown out of the vocabulary because they're learning that they're all good. They just work in a symbiotic relationship. Um, that most all of your serotonin is actually produced in your gut. Uh, now that's mind-blowing for people in the mental health field uh, be- who were trained you know, 20 plus years ago because we were taught that it was all produced in your brain. And, and in actuality it's not, it's your gut. So that's a little sidebar there. Uh, going on down the list uh, of aspects of the human exposome as related to depression, you've got to also look at nutrition, you've got to look at hormones, and you have to look at epigenetics. Um, now, I'm going to explain more about epigenetics here in just a minute because it's a little, little bit different than just pure genetics or gene-snip uh, type, uh, type of thinking. Uh, but those are the things that we look like, look at, and if you could imagine in the center, uh, draw a circle in the center of your page and write exposome in it, and then uh, put all of these little bubbles with all these little different things, mindset, community, stress, relationships, work, activity, uh, microbiome, nutrition, epigenetics, hormone, um, all around it in all these little bubbles. And then draw lines, relationship lines, between each and every one of them and link them all together and link, link them to the center bubble as well. Uh, that's the complex web that actually makes up uh, us human beings. And uh, also, again, when I was trained, for years, we've been taught uh, the biopsychosocial model. And we're told that there were three aspects to human behavior and human disease process as the biological, the psychological, and the social. And it's so much more complex than even that. It, it was on the right path, it was moving in the right direction. But uh, it's so much more than um, that. It's, it's actually exposomal, not uh, biopsychosocial. Uh, but uh, again, these are terms that you don't really need to know. You just need to understand concepts. So let's talk a little bit more about um, epigenetics. Uh, epigenetics are actually cool. So before we get deep... Uh, into the ap- aspects of, de- or deeper into the aspects of hormone decline, I want to talk to you about epigenetics. Uh, and, and I know I'm throwing a lot of terms at you, exposome, epigenetics, microbiome, um, reductionist, uh, you know, I don't normally do that, but it's really important here um, to to think of epigenetics as a dimmer switch, okay? Okay. Um, In its most simplistic form, that's the way you need to view it. It's a dimmer switch for your genes. Now, things can actually come along and dial that dimmer switch up, or things can come along and dial that dimmer switch down. For example, uh, mindset, it can dial uh, that dimmer switch up or down, stress up or down, community can dial it up or down. Uh, relationships up or down activity physical activity can dial it up or down in fact what what, what I just ran across recently is that uh, physical activity on a regular basis actually positively affects 5,000 genes in the human body. That's tremendous uh, because they'll dial up the ones that need to be dialed up and dial down the ones that need to be dialed down um, so I think I think you get the idea uh, Epigenetics is like dimmer switches for your genes Um, and positively you can dial up a negative or dial down a negative gene or dial up a good gene uh, both of which are good Uh, but epigenetics works both ways you can also dial down a good gene or dial up a bad gene Um, what are some of the things that can cause this dialing up uh, well, hormones can do this. Uh, let me explain here. <clears throat> Contrary to popular belief, uh, vitamin D is not a vitamin. it's actually a hormone. So in research studies, low vitamin D has been linked to cardiovascular disease, obesity, diabetes, and cancer. Now, we can cannot I repeat, we cannot say, that vitamin D treats these. That would be careless. Um, uh, The the research has to be done in these areas in order to prove that vitamin D can actually treat these. However, here's what we do know um, as we're beginning to understand the impact of of the benefits of vitamin D. In a recent study of low dose vitamin D, and that's only 400 international units per day, or 400 IUs per day, researchers measured the epigenetic impact of vitamin d on the human body they measured 291 different genes and found that 82 inflammatory provoking genes were down regulated or dialed down and 209 health promoting genes were upre-regulated or dialed up which have ties to mood anxiety attention memory And metabolism just to name a few. Uh, Now let's take a look at how meditation affects mood hormones. Now I know meditation is not a hormone uh, but it does affect mood and hormones and um, I'll prove it to you. Um, So this is why I threw this in here uh, because it's hugely important to understand epigenetics and this dialing up and this dialing down. It should be noted that some of the genes affected by meditation are also uh, positively involved in hormone expression. The study study that I'm going to talk to you about didn't specifically talk about the hormone aspect, but when you cross-reference the genes that were positively affected, uh, they have hormone enhancing benefits. so when you look at the epigenetics of meditation on mood and stress response, and actually hormone response, um, in a, a recent study found that 2,209 genes were positively expressed uh, uh, between long-term, uh, long-term meditators and the control group. That just means the placebo group, those that didn't do meditation. Um, 1,275 of those were upregulated or dialed up. And 934 uh, were positively dialed down or downregulated, meaning bad genes were turned off. So 934 bad genes were turned off, 1275 genes, good genes were turned up. Um, it also found that short-term meditators who committed only eight weeks to practicing meditation had 1,561 genes that were positively expressed. Again. 874 positive genes were dialed up, and 687 negative genes were dialed down. Now, let's take a deeper look at hormone depletion, uh, the symptoms of menopause and andropause, and the similarities to depression. Um, You guys can't see this, but I have in front of me a graph. On the left-hand side is the percentage of hormone production or output Uh, it it ranges from 20% to hundred percent on the bottom, uh, or the X axis, if you want to remember back to your algebra and geometry, uh, the bottom line is actually age ranging from zero to 80 plus for men, testosterone peaks in their twenties for women, estrogen, estrogen peaks in their thirties. Uh, After these peaks, we start start to see significant declines each year. Remember, we said 1% to 2% decline per year once that decline starts. Uh, If you could place this graph over the graphs for depression that we talked about earlier among women and over the suicide graph uh, that we talked about for men, there would be significant relationships in that the loss of hormones would correlate with the increase in depression and increase in suicide. So, uh, just the takeaway from this is, is that hormone peaks for men in their 20s, it peaks for women in their 30s, and starts drastically declining after that. And that decline actually correlates on those other slides with depression and suicidal uh, behavior so when you look at the symptoms of menopause and andropause uh, they have many 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 similarities uh, among men and women Uh, for example uh, men and women both will struggle with forgetfulness Uh, oddly enough they'll struggle with hot flashes and night sweats Um, they'll actually struggle with uh, joint aches and pains uh, mood swings depression which is what we're talking about here today uh, headaches Uh, insomnia, weight gain, bone loss, um, decreased motivation, lack of focus, lack of energy, and uh, and muscle loss. Those are the symptoms of menopause and andropause that men and women share and depression and mood swings is right up there in in the top. So not ironically, there are also crossover symptoms with hormone decline and uh, a formal diagnosis of depression. Um, So there appears to be a correlation between hormone decline, age, mood decline, and depressive symptoms. Uh, But is the hormone decline the only modifiable factor? Well, I don't know. Let's look at the symptoms of uh, low testosterone, Uh, depression, anxiety, irritability, edginess, uh, lethargy or fatigue, insomnia, difficulty sleeping, weakness, aches and pains, weight gain, decreased libido, decreased sex drive, uh, cognitive decline or or memory decline, uh, fuzzy thinking or brain fog, uh, decreased motivation, uh, previous leisure activities are not enjoyable anymore, and general loss of interest. If you look at the symptoms for depression, uh, feeling anxious or on edge. Remember, that was a symptom of low testosterone, uh, feeling sad or depressed. Again, a symptom of low testosterone being uh, irritable. Again, a symptom of low testosterone. And, and we're talking about these depression symptoms here, um, feeling tired or lethargic or fatigued. Again, uh, both depression and testosterone uh, aches and pains. Uh, overeating and weight gain, problems with sexual desire and performance, cognitive decline, decreased motivation, loss of interest in work, family, or once pleasurable activities. There's this huge crossover between depression and low testosterone as we age. Um, Just like some gurus uh, stand up and say, my snake oil is the only remedy for what ails you, Uh, uh, saying that replenishing hormones is the only answer would be careless. Uh, So in answer to the question, is hormone decline the only modifiable factor, I have to give a resounding no. It would be very careless of me to do that, Uh, especially after talking to you about the human exposome and how complex the human body is. In my personal clinical experience, and in the literature, hormones have a huge positive impact. So let's Take a look at what the literature says and the medical research says, and and we'll look at testosterone first. Uh, When you look at seven of the largest double-blind placebo-controlled studies for testosterone, testosterone significantly improved depression when compared to placebo. Now, what is a double-blind placebo-controlled study? A double-blind placebo-controlled study study means the researchers didn't didn't know what the people were getting, and um, until after the study, and the participants in the study didn't know what they were getting until after the study. Placebo-controlled means that fifty percent of the group got testosterone, fifty percent of the group got. Uh, no testosterone, but they were still taking it in the same form. So if it was a cream-based, they were getting a cream-based placebo with no testosterone in it. It was just cream and they were rubbing it on their skin, or gel uh, the same way, or an injection the same way. Um, So that's what a double-blind placebo-controlled study is. It's actually the best study there is. And uh, when you look at the totality of research from the 1970s until today, there have been um, just just around 70 some odd studies. Seven of them were set up perfectly as double-blind placebo-controlled studies, and those are the ones that we actually wanted to look at. So this particular study brings that out. It's called a meta-analysis, but you don't need to know that word either. It just means they looked at a bunch of studies at one time. Uh, In fact, when you take a deep dive into the data, testosterone was four times more effective than placebo in treating depression. That's huge and definitely nothing to sneeze at. In fact, for those uh, uh, science gurus out there, uh, there were 355 total people included in this. The duration of treatment was six to 12 weeks, which is pretty much the standard duration of treatment for an antidepressant trial, six to 12 weeks. And um, the the testosterone beat the placebo group uh, four times. It was four times more effective. Uh, That is so huge, I can't even begin to explain. And just in case you're wondering what measurement tool they use, they use a standard research measurement tool uh, that we actually use in clinical office called the Hamilton Depression Scale. Uh, So we use those in research, we use those in clinical settings like our offices as well, and it's a standard tool for measuring depression. So it wasn't like they made up their own tool or something like that. It was hokey. No, these were Hamilton Depression Scales, 355 people, 6- to 12-week trials, And um, man, the results were just astounding. So that's testosterone. You draw your own conclusions on that. Does testosterone treat depression? Um, I'll let you decide. So uh, now let's take a look at uh, hormone replacement therapy uh, uh, effect on depression among women. Now, um, there are actually more studies done with women than there were with men, Uh, but they took a look at estrogen, estrogen plus progestin, which is a synthetic progesterone, which I don't use uh, for many, many reasons. Uh, And I'll discuss that here in just a second. Um, Estrogen plus testosterone and testosterone by itself. So they looked at these studies for these factors. And um, so the evidence is irrefutable when it comes to women, 26 studies prove that Uh, hormone replacement therapy works for treating depression. Let me explain. When you look at uh, the the pool data or the meta-analysis data in these 26 studies related to women and depression and hormones, estrogen outperformed placebo uh, 69.4 percent better. Um, Estrogen and progesterone was only 45.4 percent better than placebo. Estrogen plus testosterone outperformed placebo. Get this, 89.6% better than placebo. And get this, this is this is even bigger. Uh, testosterone outperformed placebo in women when treating depression, 136.7% better than placebo. Uh, these are huge statistics. Why did the progesterone plus estrogen group, or why was it the lowest? Um, because it was progestin. It was a synthetic progesterone. Progestin is notorious for causing uh, irritability and depression, whereas micronized progesterone, which is a bioidentical plant-based uh, progesterone, um, which has been widely studied since these, uh, the, this study came out, um, actually treat depression. So I would love to see that data. I didn't have it. Uh, when I was putting this together, but uh, still, forty-five point four percent is better than a sugar pill, and that's what we're looking at. But when you look at the estrogen group at sixty-nine point four percent better than placebo, the estrogen plus testosterone at eighty-nine point six percent better, and the testosterone alone, which was one hundred thirty-six point seven percent better, I mean, you do the math. I mean, I think it's I think it's fairly fairly easy to draw conclusions on there. Um, So why does this information appear to be withheld from medical providers? Because I can guarantee you, if you go to your OBGYN, if you go to your internist, if you go to your family practice doctor and you start talking to them about hormones uh, for treating depression versus an antidepressant, their eyes are going to glaze over and they're going to come up with a thousand arguments why you shouldn't be using hormones. So why does this happen? Well, I have some hunches. as, I dis, as I'll, I'm discussing in my upcoming book, Happiness Hijackers, I do feel like Big Pharma uh, doesn't want this information out there. Let's face it. It's way more lucrative to push the latest and greatest magic bullet treatment for depression. Uh, and it's certainly easier to flood the medical journals with articles that support that latest and greatest cash cow or magic bullet. Um, uh, and... and as you guys know that have been following me, and um, when you read my book, you'll certainly learn, um, I don't say this as an outsider. I say this as an insider. I practiced traditional psychiatry for a long time before, uh, about eight years ago, I switched over and started doing um, uh, functional and performance-based medicine. And, and, and what you guys don't know about me that you're about to learn is that 40% of my income, annual income for years, and I'm talking about seven, eight, nine years, uh, was gleaned uh, from speaking for pharmaceutical companies. I know how that machine works, I know where the skeletons are in the closet, and I know how deep that rabbit hole goes. Um, And I probably only know uh, uh, a scratching on the surface of that knowledge. So the bottom line is, is they have um, uh, an agenda, a bottom line to protect and i think that's why this information doesn't get out there um, now uh, hopefully in in this in this podcast episode today you know i've given you the evidence uh, the research shows that hrt helps with depression but that's my interpretation of the research uh, you need to make your own conclusions uh, we know that depression and suicide rises with age just as natural hormone decline occurs as we age. We know that hormones like vitamin D actually have positive effects on the genes that help with metabolism, mood, and inflammation. We also know that certain activities like meditation can also positively affect the genes associated with mood and stress responses. Uh, For me to sit here and say that I 100% believe that hormone replacement is the only answer uh, would be very misleading. Uh, I believe that it's the total picture, the exposomal picture, the epigenetic picture that comes into play, uh, however I also believe that HRT uh, or hormone replacement therapy is a great first place to start, especially for those who are age appropriate, having symptoms and or have lab work that shows there's an issue. Uh, but I don't want you to follow my lead. I want you to decide for yourself. Is age-related hormone decline a modifiable risk factor for depressive symptoms? I'll let you decide. Thanks for joining me today on today's podcast episode. I hope it's been informative. And uh, my hat's off to your health journey because we're all on this journey together. Thanks. You guys have a great day. I'd like to personally thank you for listening to this episode of the Optimal CEO Podcast. I hope you found today's podcast informative and helpful on your personal optimization journey. You see, we love our Optimal CEO entrepreneurs and thanks to people like you, the Optimal CEO community is growing. You can help us with that continued growth by giving us a like, sharing this podcast with your friends, or subscribing to our podcast feed. This is Dr. Brian Brown. Here's to you being the most physically optimized CEO entrepreneur possible so you can have an even bigger impact on the world through your business. See you next time, and thanks again for listening.